you found the Farcast, the weekly podcast in its sixth season of helping you understand what's going on in Wall Street, Washington, and the world. Now here's your host, Michael Farr. Welcome to the Farcast. I am Michael Farr. Thanks so much for joining us again this week, the 20th day of October, which means that yesterday was October 19th, which means that that was 35 years ago, God help me, that I was sitting at my desk at Wheat First Securities, looking at that strange glow of the stock prices as they came across the Quotron. We didn't have internet, kiddies. We didn't. We had a ticker tape machine in the back, uh, and, it, and it just sat there and went rat-a-tat-tat, rat-a-tat-tat. And when there was important news, it would go ding, ding. And this day, it sounded like a telephone all day long on October 19th. It was ding, 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 ding. And nobody could believe it. Um, it. It was the first time that I understood how people would jump out of windows thinking back to the crash of 29. I looked at stockbrokers and their calls from their clients, and particularly those on margin. Uh, it was a horrible, horrible day. Think about 7,000 points dropping off the Dow right now. 7,000 points in a day. That's what's happened. And so um, it was It was really pretty horrible. And like many horrible days, it's well in our past. We were looking at a Dow that got down below 2,000 in that day, got down into the 1900s during that day. And look where we are now. Wow. And the money that you made if you'd stayed invested, if you bought the day before the crash and you stayed invested, look at the money you've made. These are tough lessons for us all to learn. And this week, as we cover Wall Street, Washington, and the world, we're going to dig in deep for you. And we're going to start out with our great friend, uh, Jim Urio from the Chicago Exchange, also of the Urio podcast, where I've been a guest. Uh, some of you have asked, does Urio have a podcast? Yes, indeed he does. And I bet we can get him to tell you how to get it up on your uh, podcast uh, service. Uh, Jim, welcome back to the Farcast. We're so glad you're here. And let's start right there. How do we get your podcast? So it's called the Futures Edge Podcast, and it's available on Spotify, the free version of Spotify. And we put it up on YouTube as well. Uh, right now, we're putting it up every Monday morning. We tape it on Friday afternoons. Um, the best part about it is the level of the guests we get. I mean, it's just been highbrow stuff. Michael's been on it. Uh, yeah, it's we had some great conversations. The guests are great and miss. Yeah, exactly. Not all of them are perfect, but most of them are great. But uh, yeah. we have a good time, and it's and informal. I, and if you if you don't mind hearing a couple cuss words, uh, if you're okay with that, you can tune in. To hey, Jim, uh, I really had fun doing that. Um, everything from the three month on in the Treasury world is above four percent right now. The stock markets had another negative day. We're coming into a Friday. Earnings season. Earnings aren't awful in here at all. In fact, some of them are okay. The pricing power is showing up in these earnings. So the higher price hikes that went on earlier over the summer, they're, they're actually paying off right now. I don't know how long that lasts. Tell us what you think about all that and, and yields and what the Fed's going to do in a couple of weeks. Bring us up to date. Okay. So something that was interesting to me was after we saw that CPI print from last week, 
and it came in hotter than expected. And we we put in we priced in immediately two consecutive seventy five basis point hikes the next two meetings, and we raised the terminal rate up to between four fifty and four seventy five. But now here was the most interesting part to me is we pulled forward the time when eases are supposed to begin according to the Fed funds curve from like September to about July-ish. And I think that was the first glimpse that the market is saying, this has an expiration date to it. This has an ending to it. And the Fed is going to overdo it. And, and surprise, the Fed has to overdo it. It is a statistical certainty that if your parameters that, that govern your movement right. says that you have to see your rate hikes work. And we all know that there's a lag time of rate hikes working between six months and a year, could even be more than that, who knows. But we know for certain that using the blinders that they have, by the time they see their handiwork, it'll mean they'll have gone too far and then they'll have to quickly start reversing themselves. But So I'm, I still do not like the stock market right now. I'm starting to be less bearish and depressed about it all and i do i know but yeah i know when not I'm completely going to get... not completely unbearish and, le- and not depressed but just less right no right no but i think okay, it's given right. me a roadmap too and again i don't tell other people what to do but here's what i'm doing too if the s&p can make a weekly close above 38.25 and what is it now is around 36.70 when we're when we're um uh, uh, recording this which isn't too far away a weekly close above 38.25 and then the next week make a higher high from that then I will, in my mind, that's when I'm going to start to to um, be picking up bargains and think that the whole thing is over. And I think I think we're mostly through this, by the way. I am kind of sad that I haven't seen a capitulation and a VIX at 50, but I think there's other things that are getting in the way of that. Okay. That sounds awfully precise for me. Um, I, when, when you've got a lot of the other technicians I read who are saying, nah, you're We've we've broken we've broken this thirty six hundred. We've made new lows in here. Look for thirty two hundred to thirty two fifty at least in here. Does that why doesn't that make sense to you longer term? Are you talking about a shorter term bounce back or what are you thinking? No, no, I'm talking about when the market gives me those prices. I will believe this awful period is over. But I'm not saying it will give me those prices yet. I think that the roadmap to me is relatively clear. I'm not I'm not jumping in and buying anything right now. In our business we call it catching a falling knife. I'm right. still I'm still core short with my trading accounts. I'm 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 not like a lot of people probably come out and say, "Oh yeah, I sold out everything." I didn't. My my retirement accounts, I, I don't I don't touch those things. So I'm taking on water in a lot of things like other people are. But in my trading accounts, I've been more short than usual and making some money on this. I'm going to continue doing that until what changes my mind is those levels I set. We ought to give each other money to run. You know what? I ought to give you some money to run because I don't know how to do what you do. I think you do know how to do what I do. So I think I lose in this bargain. But uh, but 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 our stuff that we buy and hold and ride through and we rotate into a lot of the other names. And uh, yes, our conservative approach, uh, you know, allows people to sleep at night. Uh, that's a tough thing to do, even in, when you get into markets like this. Okay. Uh, so Jim, we have you. So when you say you're looking for a close above 3850, is that what you said? 38. You're, I said 3825, but I like your level even better. 3850 just to be safe because we're conservative. Right. That, that would be that would be a short term indicator for you. Or is that the all time all in that, indicator? That's the well, see, I'm never an all in guy because I'm a conservative guy like you as well, too. I my, when my technicals lead me to a conclusion, my technicals will lead me to lead me to a conclusion that this bear is over. 
but that doesn't mean they can't be wrong. Uh, you know, yeah, you know, technical analysis is great, and I use it all the time for short, medium, and long-term trades and entries. But it sometimes fails you, and if it does fail me, I'm not. I don't want to be caught off guard. So I will be starting to amass positions then, and I know what I want to be in too. I really is it okay to go into this part yet? Of what I'm, yeah, I'm yeah, yeah, genuine? go. So. I gave a speech at the New Orleans Investment Conference last week about something I think that's really, really interesting. And I looked at copper and we can talk, yes. you, can, you probably would talk more about copper miners as well. I love copper. But the reality of it is an indicator. So good. So, so copper right now has just been pummeled because rates are going higher, the dollar's higher, and China is instituting this, the scattershot, closed yes. down yes. Uh, mitigation strategy. So copper's all of a sudden taken, taken on water for months and months and months, despite the fact that at the same time they're pushing this this legislation to that everything's got to be decarbonized and there is no decarbonization without copper. We're already operating on a like a four and a half million metric ton deficit of copper per year based on what's mined and what we need and the others made up from recycling. Um, a couple of different Goldman Metals desk, Bloomberg NEF, different research firms believe that if these this green new technology stuff is being pushed upon us like they like they believe and like I believe that the the deficits could grow grow to ten million yeah. tons per year. So yeah. I think and go and for me copper if it, if the the futures contract settles above three eighty, then I'll look at trading copper from the long time at adding copper as an investment and then looking at some of the miners too, which I don't generally talk about. What does that give you any indication economically? I mean, it's always been a canary in the coal mine for economists to say when it is in demand, you typically are seeing an economic expansion because copper is used is the number one thing that's used in most forms of construction. So you're telling me that the demand is already uh, greater than the supply and that that might not be the same indicator or economic bellwether. There's sort of a pent up thing. Tell me how you see that. How do That's I exactly what I'm saying. The demand has hung in pretty well, despite the fact of what's happened over the last couple of years. Demand for copper is held in well, even in this environment. And so I think the price, I think copper is just traded off reflexively with bad news out of China and in conjunction with the rest of the metals market. Like if you look at lithium, lithium is something that's not correlated with China at all, and the algos don't sell it every time there's a bad headline in China. Lithium has gone through the roof and stayed solidly bid. You know, I, I don't have the exact statistics on it, but I think it's up like four times in the last few years and hasn't traded off at all. Um, copper, which is associated so much with China. And I think that in, yeah. in markets, you, you sometimes don't even see like what the real fundamental story is, just what we think the fundamental story is and what other people are probably going to trade on. And then everybody piles in. Okay, I'm in my last minute here, uh, Jim. Uh, you you said that you had a notion of when you would want to be, to the extent that you go all in, to, to the extent that you will have a sense of when the worst of this is over with. Seems to me that it's just taking a lot longer than anybody wants, that this sort of a cycle always lasts longer than anybody thinks it will. But you look, you've got some indicators in mind that will tell you. Can you share those with us? And then we got to go. So one more time, it says, so above like the 38.25, 38.50, a weekly settle in the S&P futures contract, and then the next week to show strength above that. To me, that'll mean that this long ordeal is over and that we're headed higher. I mean, my, my opinion could change on that if something else happens, but that will be the indication for me where I will throw the, throw the flag and say that surrender has happened and the market is coming back. That's final what I question. Final question. What did the jump in 
uh, yields in the in the uh, bond market mean to you today? Um, I, it, it means it caused a lot of worry to me, particularly after seeing the jump that we saw in the UK. Four twenty-four on the ten-year, and almost four seventy-five on the on the two-year. I think is what yeah. I saw. I don't like that, and it starts to smack of of um, a disorderly market to me. So that's why I'm not a bull yet. That's the single biggest thing that right now has me concerned. If there's not a bid for for our bonds, that could be a bad thing. So I'm watching that very very closely. And like I said, I gave you my roadmap for when I'm going to become a bull again. But I'm not a bull right now. Got it. Uh, I wrote my weekly market commentary. It should be coming out tomorrow on the U.S. debt, Jim. And how we're funding the U.S. debt, how we're going to add 1.1, 1.2 trillion a year. That's not up for discussion for the next 10 years, how that's coming on. We got 31 and a half trillion in debt right now. And the cost of funding that, uh, I actually follow the CBO's estimates, which are always, I think, too low. They never price in a recession. And I talk about the costs for the U.S. and how much that looks like it will trim from GDP growth. So that's what I've written this week. I'll send you a copy. And ladies Please. and gentlemen, if you a copy of that. H. Jennings at farmiller.com. Jim Murio, thank you so much for being with us again on the Farcast. You are the man. And the name of the podcast is? The Future's Edge Podcast. And you can look up the one where Far is on it. It's a video. And it, these guys actually drink during the broadcast. I, I got to respect props, <laughs> props for that. Ladies and gentlemen, we're going to come back with Dan Mahaffey, Center of the Study of the Presidency in Congress. What's going on in Washington? And what happened to Liz Truss? Who? Who? When we come back on the Farcast. Thank you for joining us this week on the Farcast. Now it's time for political analyst Dan Mahaffey and your host, Michael Farr. Welcome back to the Farcast. I am Michael Farr. We are so glad that you join us each and every week and share us on social media. We thank you for your notes. We get them from around the world, ladies and gentlemen, not only here in the U.S., uh, asking questions and sending us kind words, saying that this helps folks understand the world of investing and they learn from listening to the forecast and our guests. We really appreciate that. And indeed, that's why we do it. Dan Mahaffey is the Director of Policy for the Center of the Study of the Presidency and Congress, a Washington think tank. But most important, ladies and gentlemen, he is the senior political analyst on the Farcast now in season six. Hey, now in season six. And Dan and I were in Scottsdale, Arizona, two days ago, speaking to a large Hightower conference of some of the best firms across the Hightower, 130 firms, uh, 120 firms, I don't know, 130 some odd billion dollars uh, that Hightower represents. Dan and I sat and talked with the chief economist also from uh, T. Rowe Price. And uh, I was told by, well, none other than Bob Oros, the CEO, uh, best session by far. He very much enjoyed it and he very much enjoyed Mahaffey. So Dan, thank you for coming all the way out to Scottsdale with us. And thank you for being the best presenter. That was oh, well, you are uh, too kind. It was a great opportunity to meet with some really smart folks. They got some great advisors there, uh, a team of people. It's great to see their investment experts, but also curious. They got great questions when I spoke with them. Uh, really a, a, a great group to work with. Well, it was wonderful. So Dan, um, Liz who? Liz who? <laughs> no, the the trust fall. The She's trust done. Fall. 
The trust. the trust fall has happened. Yes. No, I think we, we saw this. The We talked about it, the writing on the wall in some ways of a, uh, a prime ministership where the policies had completely come undone. Uh, the fact that the the old adage, you can love the free market, but it won't always love you back. Uh, that's the case as well. Uh, look, the the trussonomics was dead on arrival when you saw what happened to the pound, what happened to the gilts almost precipitating a mini financial crisis in the British uh, pension system. As a result, trust is out. The question is, who comes next? Well, you know, Dan, I I am going to be in the UK next week. I leave Wednesday. I'll be in London uh, for a couple of days, and then I'm heading down to Kent to visit with some friends. But, you know, uh, if they trot out Boris Johnson and Liz Trust. And, you know, if I told them I happen to be available, you know, to I haven't run a government. I don't think that goes against a conflict of interest to actually run a government. But I mean, think about it. Liz Truss, Boris Johnson, Michael Farr. One of us looks like the prime minister. Huh? huh? Right, I, mean, I, right. got, I got the hair. Right. I right. got the hair. And then and then one of us knows something about economics. Which to at least one. One. I just I could it be. I just love it. Right, right. I just can't wait to see Harry draft the note to compliance that you're seeking to run a government. <laughs> well, make sure compliance understands that it's not the U.S. government. I'm not talking about a domestic overthrow. Uh, it's it's more a government outsourcing opportunity. Yeah, right. yeah. I, I, right. I, I think it just goes under under the the line for uh, separate business activities. Uh, that... Dan, what in the hell's going on in the U.K.? Well, I think you have one of a political crisis where the Conservative Party has run out of its rope. You have the Brexit, uh, you know, shooting them themselves in the economic foot. The bill has come due on that, and it's been compounded by the energy crisis precipitated by the war in Ukraine and the ongoing inflation around the world. Uh, the pound, uh, again, hammered to near parity, although it's come back. And so the economic footing and the question of what comes next because one, the conservatives have just, again, this was just 44 days ago that they completed the whole process of picking a new leader. I think they go behind the scenes to try and just come up with one candidate and avoid some kind of wider uh, pull of the party membership. But whomever this is will not be a, a uh, legitimate candidate in many of the uh, uh, eyes of the public. There's no mandate. And I think Keir Starmer, Sir Keir's uh, calls from the opposition bench for a general election will become, uh, will resonate more through the public. If, 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 now we don't, we do or we don't have a prime minister right now. Is Liz Truss still technically the Liz prime minister? Liz Truss is a caretaker prime minister. She submitted her resignation, but serves on in, until the uh, process by which a new prime minister is there. And then she can formally, uh, you know, she's incented to the, to the king that she would resign. But now there's that that period where they transition. So this is our, their version of the lame duck session. All right. So, uh, you know, the UK. The, the longer run, though, like the question for the UK, longer run economically, though, th this was an idea of this sort of Singapore on the Thames Singapore in the North Atlantic model that they were going for. And really this idea that they could shock a country like Britain into something like Thatcher Reaganomics for the for the 21st century. You know, and you make stupid sound so eloquent, really. <laughs> the way you talk about it as Singapore, and it was just stupid. I mean, you've got inflation and here they're going to come and say, oh, we know what we're going to do. 
We're gonna. Right. But this was this this was the entire concept that a major part of the conservative uh, party was running with as the economic future for Britain. And the question is, what now is that? Not just the political future, but with Brexit, but with the the probably the looming threat of Scottish independence and Irish reunification in the next decade. Uh, what is the future of Britain really look like? Electricity bills have at doubled at least in the UK. Um, you know, uh, the the economy is not doing well. They've talked about having rolling blackouts this winter, rolling blackouts. Those folks who voted for Brexit are going to be out cutting peat, you know, to heat their their fireplaces. This is not going to be fun. I mean, it sounds funny, I guess, when I say it so glibly, and I apologize to my friends in the UK, because I don't mean to be glib about this. There is real pain ahead here, mm -hmm. and you've got to focus on your economy. How many times do we have to say on the forecast, no margin, no mission? No margin, no mission. I, I mean, it's, it's- Or maybe in a way we can say it that our British friends will understand. The poem probably says it best. I will not cease from mental fight, nor <laughs> shall my sword sleep in my hand till we have built Jerusalem in England's green and pleasant land. Okay, well, I'm going to go get Chariots of Fire out and watch it again. But I love the idealism, but folks, you've got to have an economy. And I really hope, I really hope that this next move is a sound and prosperous leader, uh, offers sound and prosperous leadership for our great friends across the pond, uh, we've had no better allies for a uh, hundred years. And um, we, we, we will, of course, continue to be supportive. But geez, guys, you got to help yourselves a little bit here. Come on. All right, Dan, speaking of helping ourselves, uh, we're seeing the Democrats slip further in the polls. The Republican House count now is going higher by the Washington wonks who follow such things and project them. And then they're already talking about the president announcing that he's not going to run again and that who is going to run. Uh, and there's a long list. Folks can't wait to get their names on the Democratic ballot for president. And President Trump is still not saying that he's I mean, still hearing he's going to run. Tell us what you think. Well, I think you would say in the market parlance, this is probably the most bearish point for the Democrats right now. Um, the fact that we're still seeing energy prices rise, the fact that when we were just out there in Arizona, I noted uh, that's a very pivotal state and you have gas at like 480 above five dollars in some areas yes. I saw. So that's that's going to weigh on voters minds. That's always been the clearest economic signal to the ballot box. And what we're going to have to uh, figure out in the coming days is still the polling is it underrepresenting the Republican Trump voter that we, we've always worried about? Uh, but what still is there, this momentum we see in a lot of early voting in places like uh, the Virginia suburbs, uh, around Atlanta, Georgia, uh, areas where we have seen, again, younger people come out in ways that they did in 2018. In an evenly divided country, it's going to come out to whoever gets more of their folks to the polls. So for all of us around here, I think we're going to see worse and worse and campaign ads and negative attack stuff. Uh, but you get to the end of this. 
I think you see the favor turning towards the Republicans having a larger majority. And we've talked about how that's important for some stability in policymaking. Uh, but the Senate could come down to, again, I think a coin flip where states like Nevada could be of concern. Pennsylvania, one you probably don't know till for a week. Uh, and then we have to remember that well, Georgia, on, Georgia could always go. It's going to be that close with Mehmet Oz? I think it could be that close. If you look at how close it was with the presidential election, just have to consider okay. the same the same level of closeness. And then Georgia could always be the one that leaves us waiting for the result of a uh, follow-on runoff if no one gets 50%. I have a new business idea, Dan. You know, I already pay a lot of money. I hate the amount of money I pay for my cable television to Xfinity right now. Xfinity and and what I and the internet and everything else and what that cost me. I hate that. But I will tell you, as high as it is, I'm trying to think, could we come up with a cable service that uh, was a premium service to bar political ads? What would you pay if you could if you could have cable? without the polit that would skip the political ads i in washington folks i would pay a premium for that those things drive me out of my mind during this kind of a season uh, and and because we're in a in an area with washington maryland and virginia we hear from districts and podunk things that nobody cares about except that one little district but it, they they yeah. buy time you know, and in some of these races, the spending is out of control, you know, nearly to the level of what you thought would be spending in gubernatorial races just really? for a single House district. Really? That, that's yeah. I mean, that's ridiculous. Right. You, and you have states like that, like California, you have right. Florida, you have all these states where if you have multiple, uh, the fact that these multiple television markets now, uh, everything saturated, social media, uh, look, everyone is, I just think to myself, God, there are so many things we could deploy this money in better ways. <laughs> there's no there's no question about that. All right, Dan. Uh, now, as we look at what's going on and we say, all right, we're going to have some sort of uh, lame duck, perhaps session uh, coming up. If, if, if the Republicans at least take the House, then they don't have both houses. It's going to be very hard to get policy through if you're the administration. What does happen? spending bill increasing on Ukraine? Uh, will we get consensus on yeah, that? In, in the lame duck, I think you might try and get a spending bill to get a, a big Ukraine aid package through just to make sure that's done. Uh, questions, too, about uh, what might be possible on the debt ceiling. Can that be settled or pushed? You know, there's some Republicans who would say maybe we get this done because that way it's not on our plate and we can just still blame what Democrats did for, uh, you know, where we're at going forward. I think they'd talk about their agenda, too. You know, what can we do on the Republican side? Uh, working with the administration in a in in the future, I don't see much prospects. But uh, look, everyone agrees on tougher China policies. Um, and if there's any area where you had to say, you know, Dan, uh, you know, you have to tell me something that could be positive. Uh, yes. Perhaps, perhaps you get some movement finally on trade deals with a Republican Congress and President Biden. Okay. Well, we'll see. We'll see about that. We'll watch it very closely. We certainly know that things do not seem to be thawing in the UK. They are getting even chillier as it turn, in terms of China. We know that Iran has been, we believe, sending these uh, drones, attack mm -hmm. drones to Russia and have violated other treaties, UN treaties, mm -hmm. uh, in order to do that. 
Well, so what? We're up. And now reports of Iranian personnel in Crimea. Oh, I didn't hear that. Ukrainian yes. personnel in Iranian, Crimea. Iranian, yep. Iranian. Wow. Okay. All right. Well, we will we will continue to watch. Dan, you'll come back again next week and help us make sense Lovely. of the world. Okay. Well, we thank you very much, Dan Mahaffey from the Center for the Study of the Presidency and Congress, our senior political analyst on the Farcast. And by the way, Dan and I have been going out to these events and we do this fireside chat where he says very smart things and I continue to challenge him uh, and be mean to him. Uh, and we've been invited back to University of Delaware this year. So we're going to go back to University of Delaware this year with the economic forecast and bring a bit of Washington uh, know-how and expertise with Dan Mahaffey. So uh, Dan and I go on the road. That's it. You can call us. Ladies and gentlemen, please stay with us. We'll be right back. Michael Farr and the Farcast are proud to support Heroes, Inc. Heroes supports the spouses and children of law enforcement officers and firefighters who gave their lives in the line of duty to the greater Washington, D.C. community. Their singular goal is to honor the supreme sacrifice made by these individuals by caring for their families. Heroes' work begins within 24 hours of the tragic loss and continues indefinitely. We invite you to learn more about Heroes' mission at heroes.org. We hope that you will consider supporting Heroes as they endeavor to honor those who protect us. That's heroes.org. Heroes, here for you, here for good. And now, back to the Farcast and your host, Michael Farr. We hope you're enjoying this week's edition of the Farcast. Please share us with friends and colleagues. And now, back to your host, Michael Farr. Welcome back to the Farcast. We're so glad you're with us again this week. We've made a little bit of a shift, folks. We're going to do the Farcast over two days. We did the first couple of segments on the 20th, and now uh, we have a great treat for you. Your Farcast fan favorite, Stephanie Link, the chief uh, investment strategist for Hightower Advisors, a CNBC contributor, and my great buddy joins us now. Welcome back, Stephanie. It's great to see you, Michael. Stephanie and I were just in uh, Scottsdale. We were in Scottsdale. <laughs> Sorry, I had to think. Honest to God, we were in Scottsdale uh, speaking at a uh, speaking at a um, conference and. During the first morning's presentations, uh, Stephanie did CNBC the full hour show from the lobby of the of this big high tower conference. Stephanie, I don't know how you did it. I said this at the conference. I've done stand ups. I've done outside, but an hour of live TV with people walking around you and behind you and the distractions. I don't know how you did it. How did you do that? Yeah, it was it was it was great fun and uh, a lot of concentration. <laughs> but uh, I'm just glad that we had so many wonderful advisors there. And uh, we had some great sponsors. And it was wonderful to see you and you had a wonderful panel. Uh, and, uh, and, and, and we and we both had a chance to kind of voice our thoughts about what's going on in this crazy market. Well, and I always, I think everybody appreciates to hear what you're thinking. So uh, we've got a 10-year treasury on the rise. Uh, we've got some tech companies that are uh, getting a little wobbly in their earnings. And we have the British government getting a little wobbly in its government. Uh, what do you make <laughs> of all of this? Well, and this is the one of the reasons why 
whenever we, you and I get asked on TV a, a lot, it, once we have a rally of a day or two, does this have legs? And I say, well, we're in this choppy trading range. As you have said as well, we are very consistent on this and it's been this way all year long. And it's because there are so many unknowns, right? It's yes. it's not only the Fed, it's not only inflation. We've got yeah, the UK, Europe is likely in a recession. We have a war, China is a mess. And I don't want to sound so glass half empty because I usually am glass half full. What yeah. the, bright, the bright spot is so far um, is actually earnings have been okay, right? So so maybe we got a bad snap number yesterday, right? So maybe American Express wasn't the perfect quarter or the perfect guide given where the valuation is. Okay, I understand all that. Um, Tesla, you can't trade at 51 times and miss revenues by 2%. But for the most part, we actually had really good financial services uh, earnings. We had good Johnson & Johnson, J&J earnings. We have had um, some pretty good numbers out of something like a United Healthcare. So I think we can't just kind of brush the whole thing off and say, we're going down and, 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 and we're gonna just focus on the negatives. Companies are doing the best that they can in this, it's in a, an incredibly challenging environment. And that's why this year, is for stock pickers, right? Like you and me. It's not just buy the the, the, the index, the S&P 500 index. Um, it's also, guess what? There is now an alternative in fixed income. So there's a lot of options. And this is why you're very, you, you, your, your clients are so lucky to have you because you've been doing this for such a long time. Um, I've been doing it a long time too. I've got a lot of gray hair myself, but- uh, No, you don't, you really don't. And I wanna tell you, it's irritating as hell. Um, uh, <laughs> I, every time, every time I see her, and in in person too, ladies and gentlemen, she looks younger. I look like her father. And, uh, <laughs> That's uh, not true, and, and it's really just kind of irritating. Stephanie, did you see uh, that Kathy Woods um, from the Ark Funds added a big position of Tesla as it got killed? Um, she yeah. is a very, very aggressive manager, and of course, that aggression has really hurt her this year and hurt her investors. And yet money continues to pour into her fund. When you see that sort of a move, what do you think? I mean, I think, gosh, at least she's got guts. I mean, she's got guts that I that I don't have. I wouldn't. Well, I mean, I, I would agree with you. I, I think she is definitely a much longer term investor. And I understand why she's buying what she's buying, because these are companies that have an amazing total addressable markets opportunities, but that doesn't necessarily translate into earnings today and cheap PEs, price to earnings ratios, right? So she is being aggressive and you know what? Good for her. She's keeping with her process. In very challenging times, the worst thing that you can do as a portfolio manager is change your process. And so you and I have have stuck to our knitting, if you will. She's doing the same. It's just not what you and I would be doing because I like to fall back on uh, valuations that I can understand. And while I agree with the total addressable market stories, if it doesn't translate into earnings, it's kind of challenging. You know, the one thing that I've learned over decades, and um, uh, it's 35 years, and I was remembering with a friend yesterday morning at breakfast, with, he was a co-worker of mine and early business partner and still great friend. Uh, we were remembering being at our desks on October 19th uh -huh. in 1987 yeah. and what that looked like and what that experience was like. And mm -hmm. so you go through enough of these things over the years 
and and you the couple of things that I have learned are you know a, a balance sheet can save you if mm-hmm. you have cash if you don't have too much debt if you don't have if you have some cash and good cash flow you can be fine but if you have good cash flow and access to funds you can do things and survive particularly with good and experienced management which draws me to this sort of core kind of a company that i own and makes me scratch my head and say geez i don't understand why i need to take the risk to own the teslas of the world if indeed all of the prognosticators you know are right if we do go into some sort of recession if we do see an earnings contraction I want to own something with a balance sheet and with some cash, knowing that as it comes out, it's got a chance because there are companies that do not survive recessions like this, right? That's very true. And especially companies that don't have earnings. Um, And when you have higher interest rates, long duration assets do suffer. Long duration assets tend to be growth, tend to be technology, uh, and it hurts their future cash flows, higher interest rates do. And so, yeah, you want to focus on uh, companies with balance sheets and free cash flow. And we talk about this all the time, you and I do. Free cash flow is king. It's absolutely king. It gives companies the flexibility in good times and in bad times to invest, to pay back shareholders in terms of buybacks and dividends, and maybe just to keep a little cash on the sidelines because who knows what's going to happen. And and as we started this conversation, as I mentioned, there's a lot of unknowns and we have to kind of work our way through it. Momentum stocks are great on the way up. They're not so great on the way down because momentum can kind of feed on itself. And so everyone looks like a hero when the markets are going up and when momentum stocks are going higher. But when, when when the environment changes, it's hard to value some of these companies that don't have earnings. And so, yeah, you and I kind of stick to the same kind of company, high quality, good managements, um, and, uh, and, and a lot of shareholder friendly actions. And, you know, uh, I've got a speech coming up in Palm Beach where I'm talking to a big group of CEOs about how to manage through a recession. And uh, through a friend, I've I've gotten to meet Jim Farley, who's the CEO of Ford. And I had a chat with him last night on the phone about what his thoughts were about managing through a recession. And he said, and what do you, it was interesting, he said, what do you look for when you, as a portfolio manager this many years, hear those managers come and report. What do you listen for? And and I said, you know, I listen uh, and smell for the aroma of inauthenticity. Uh, I'm looking for authenticity and I'm and I'm smelling closely uh, as to whether I'm getting the straight scoop or not. And I said, but but Jim, tell me what you think about when you're managing through a recession. And he said, well, he says, you know, every company can be more fit. Every company somewhere has some waste and all can be changed for the better. And he said, a recession gives you the perfect excuse to take hard steps for which you will not be blamed as CEO to actually trim fat and to make some pretty good aggressive moves if you need to uh, in the right direction for your company when it comes out of the recession. The key is making sure you have the cash. It goes to Stephanie's point here. Make sure you have the cash and that you get the cash ahead of time, that you have a strategy ahead of time, and then you will win and be more successful for you than your competition that waits and doesn't have the cash. And he came down again and said, you can improve. It is an opportunity, but you have to have the cash. What, what do you think? What do you look for? I mean, I thought that was brilliant, by the mm-hmm. way. I'm going to quote him in my speech. But that's so everybody listening, you got the you got the preview. But what do you think, Steph, about that? 
Well, I think that is absolutely key. Here's an interesting thing in my mind is we just came uh, off of a recession in 2020, right? Yes. A, real, a real quick one, a real quick one. Right. But I think the last three years, companies were forced to restructure, to yes. cut costs, to not lay off people because we still have that problem in, in a good way that there's so many jobs to be had. In fact, there's more job openings than unemployed people at this point in time, but they have been forced to restructure. And so they're actually in pretty in a pretty good spot, even if we do hit a recession next year, which you and I are, have been talking about yes. um, that. And even if it's not a recession, Michael, it's going to be slower growth. So yeah. companies have to hunker down, but they've already been hunkering down. And so they're in a pretty good spot headed into this downturn. There's going to be changes that have to happen. There are going to be uh, more uh, restructurings. But I do think that we're in a better spot um, having come away from COVID and you know the, the, the devastating effect on, on, on the economy. I try to distinguish as I listen to these reports and I watch companies go through these difficult times and have earnings reports that miss and things like that. I, I try to really distinguish between the companies that are failing themselves, that don't have a plan, that aren't executing, as opposed to those that are caught in a difficult... Uh, you can have a good company that shows bad numbers because they're going through a difficult economic time. It could be one of the shipping companies in the genre of uh, FedEx or a UPS or something like that. And okay, so if if they stop, don't have as many shipments and they go through all of this sort of stuff, uh, how are they going to manage through it? Um, it might not be that the company has failed in its strategy. It's that the economy is, the economic environment's failed. How, do you look at that sort of thing? Yeah, you know, it's interesting that you said that those kind of companies that have a great track record, but are getting hit because of un not company specific problems. It's yes. the macro. Those are exactly the kind of companies that I wanna buy yes. as they come down, right? That's what I truly believe is, is quality on sale. Right. So so I mentioned United Healthcare, for example, they just blew it away, beat, raised like they always do. They are the dominant leader in managed care in the industry. They have this wonderful business in, in Optum uh, that's really driving the growth. Well, let's just say the stock gets hit 10 or 15 percent because the overall market goes down 10 or 15 or 20 percent from here. I'm not saying that, but let's just say it gets kind of yes. wrapped up in all of the, the, the big picture macro scares. Right. So if that happens, that's exactly what you want to be buying because it checks off all the boxes of what you talked about. And so to, if it's FedEx on your side, if it's United Healthcare on my side, if it's R. Johnson and Johnson, whatever that may be, these companies have a great proven track record with good management teams. Teams, and not only just a CEO or a CFO, but a good bench. And yes. you have to have a good bench, right? Yes. And and so so that's this is when you and I do our homework and we say, okay, I've got five ideas here that I think I might want to buy, yeah. but I'm gonna buy it today, but I'm gonna actually watch and put them on our monitor. And if they fall five, 10, 15%, well then you know what? We are long-term investors and this is quality on sale opportunities for us. And, and to be clear, ladies and gentlemen, Stephanie and I are mentioning these companies as, as examples. Yes. Okay? We're not making any kind of a recommendation. We're not suggesting no. that you should look at the, we're not doing that. We're just saying these are examples to illustrate yes. investment discipline uh, for which we're responsible 
at our companies and to our clients and yes. to our clients. This is this is how we do what we do. So that those are not recommendations. We want to be clear. They're examples, right? Yes. Steph- uh, Stephanie, this has been wonderful. Thank you. I can't believe we're out of time. Would you have a closing word for Fred and Ethel, the average investor who are a bit worried and scared and hearing about all of these things that could go wrong about what they should be thinking about over the next 12 months? Yes, I I would say simply that over the long term, the S&P 500 total return is 10%. So uh, that's over a long period of time. So you have to take a longer term view. You have to focus on quality companies, things that companies that have great earnings and again, free cash flow. Uh, listen to Michael, everyone, because he's the best there is in the business. And here's an interesting thing is that we have both been around for a long time and we've seen these kinds of things. Even though before. only one of us looks like it. Go ahead. <laughs> we have, but we've been through cycles before. And yes. there are some portfolio managers out there that have never seen inflation, that have never yes. seen a Fed increase interest rates. Well, you and I have both done that and we've seen it. And it's not that we are perfect. We're not going to get it all right, but at least we stay calm. And I know you're not going to be happy when I say this, but but I think you'll agree. Turn the TV off. Yes. Turn it off. And Absolutely. don't get ups- don't get put into the whole negative scenario because negativity sells on TV. And so turn it off. Listen to Michael. Listen to me maybe every once in a while. And no uh, I think you'll be just fine. You know, I'm going to add one more thing, Steph, even though we're out of time. Uh, when when we are on TV with with some of our just very bright, distinguished yes. colleagues, the Twitterverse and the emails and the stuff come in and they are scathing, ladies and gentlemen. We get the nastiest they comments <laughs> about ourselves and about each other and about what morons we are and how we should <laughs> be fired by our companies and by CNBC and nobody should ever listen to us again. I, I'm I'm tempted to write something back, Stephanie, which I haven't done yet. But but I've done this for 35 years as a professional. You've done this for like 30 years as a professional. Is that right? Is yeah. that right? Yeah. You know, let, ladies and gentlemen, you don't do what we have done for 30 years as a professional as a moron. I'm sorry. <laughs> you might not like what we say. You might not like what we say. We might not like what each other has to say on various days, but we've done this for 35 years. We have very successful careers, 24-7 of professional investing. And I'm sorry, very few of you do. So if you're going to listen to the experienced person in the room, uh, don't get mad at them just because you don't agree with them. You don't get mad at your doctor when they give you and they tell you your blood pressure's high, do you? I mean, I'm sorry if you don't like it, but listen. We, we, we've been taking blood pressure for a long time uh, and we know what to do for it uh, in the investment business. These are smart people out there. Uh, quit throwing rocks and open your ears. Take a couple of notes. These are smart people. Okay. There's my rant, Steph. <laughs> <laughs> well, I 100% agree with you. 100%. And, and I, I think 99.5% of the time you and I do agree on a lot of things, right? Yeah. So- um, we just stay calm and, and and carry on, as they say, right? We'd be very good Brits. Stephanie Link is the chief investment <laughs> strategist for Hightower Advisors, my great friend, colleague, uh, and person, go-to person when I need advice in the investment business. Folks, thank you, Stephanie, and thank you, ladies and gentlemen, for being with us on another forecast as we cover Wall Street, Washington, and the world. We'll be back again next week with another forecast. Hey, with a money manager from London. How about that? 
uh, Nicholas Chapel is going to join us and tell us what's going on over there. And by the way, remember, I'm going to be in the UK. Uh, I'm six feet tall. I have a full head of white hair. Uh, I have some sense about the economy. Uh, you know, I understand you're looking for a prime minister. Line me up with Boris Johnson, Liz Truss. I got the economy and I got better hair. And what do you think? I mean, I got a shot, maybe. We'll see. I'll be in London next week. Thanks, everybody. Have a great weekend. Bye. We've come to the end of another edition of The Farcast. We hope you've enjoyed the show as much as we enjoy making it for you. Join us next week as we have more special guests to bring you Wall Street, Washington, and the world. Thanks to this week's guests, Jim Murio, Dan Mahaffey, and special guest, Stephanie Link. The Farcast comes to you weekly and is produced by Michael Barr and Harry Jennings and is available for free on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and all major podcast platforms. We love hearing from you every week, and you can reach us at hjennings at farmmiller.com. Let us know any questions you have and topics you'd like to hear us cover. We would like to remind you that the Farcast podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be considered legal or financial advice. The information, statements, comments, views, and opinions expressed and provided in this podcast, including by speakers who are not office employees or agents of Hightower Advisors or Farm Miller in Washington, are not necessarily those of Hightower Advisors, Farm Miller in Washington, or any firm any of our guests may represent. Any mention of a specific security should not be construed as a recommendation to buy or sell, and please be aware that past performance is not a guide to the future performance of any security, index, fund, manager, or strategy. We strongly recommend you review with a financial professional before you make any investment decision. And if we can be of assistance at Farm Miller in Washington, please reach out to me at hjennings at farmmiller.com. We are here to help, and I'll be happy to put any of our listeners in touch with one of our investment professionals for a complimentary review of your portfolio and your investment goals. Take care, stay safe, stay healthy. We'll be back with you next week. Go beyond the headlines each week with the podcast. Farm Miller in Washington is a group comprised of investment professionals registered with Hightower Advisors, LLC, an SEC-registered investment advisor. Some investment professionals may also be registered with Hightower Securities, LLC, member FINRA, and SIPC. Advisory services are offered through Hightower Advisors, LLC. Farm Miller in Washington and Hightower Advisors, LLC have not independently verified the accuracy or completeness of the information contained in this podcast. Farm Miller in Washington and Hightower Advisors LLC or any of its affiliates make no representations or warranties expressed or implied as to the accuracy or completeness of the information or for the statements or errors or omissions or results obtained for the use of this information. Farm Miller in Washington and Hightower Advisors LLC or any of its affiliates assume no liability for any action made or taken in reliance on or relating in any way to the information. This podcast and materials contained herein were created for informational purposes only. The opinions expressed are solely those of the authors and do not represent those of Hightower Advisors LLC or any of its affiliates. Farm Miller in Washington and Hightower Advisors LLC or any of its affiliates do not provide tax or legal advice. This material was not intended or written to be used or presented to any entity as tax or legal advice. Clients are urged to consult their tax or legal advisor or related questions.